tell us who is uh, William Gardner. Big question, um, <laughs> but let me see what's on the top of your mind. I mean, at this moment, I would say that I'm someone who has, I think, just kind of found his own way in life. Um, I set out on a journey about five years ago to travel around the world and build a business, and I didn't really know what I was going to do or how I was going to do it. Um, I was kind of in like a midlife crisis, I would say, five years ago. I had corporate success in America. I was successful. I drove a nice car, um, had a beautiful girlfriend, lived in a nice apartment, was the VP of sales and marketing, but actually didn't really enjoy my life. Um, so I sold everything and just kind of lived like a nomad traveling around the world and started a digital marketing company and just kind of organically built it in different parts of the world. Um, and so I think I'm someone who just focused on wanting to feel the feeling of freedom. I think that um, for me it was more about I wanted to feel the feeling where I could be anywhere at any moment and any time and not worry about money. And I've just kind of created that life for myself and somehow ended up in Dubai. <laughs> but that's just, that's kind of what I've been on a journey for like the last five years. Super. Can you tell me a little bit about your childhood? Um, Growing up. How many kids? Huh? How I, many have, I, have one, I have one half sister. Okay. Um, childhood was not easy for me. Um, I actually failed kindergarten as a kid. I was called <laughs> Willie Gardner the kindergartner. I had long red hair. I was picked on. I was dyslexic. I still am dyslexic. Um, but I, I started working when I was like 10 years old. Um, I grew up in a pretty poor family. And um, I don't know if American culture, I don't know if you can relate, but um, in the 80s, when I was growing up, what you wore, like the type of shoes and clothes that you wore was really important. Um, like name brand shoes defined you even when you're 10 years old, if you didn't have non-name brand shoes, you got picked on for it. What would they do? Um, they just make fun of you if you don't have Nikes or Reeboks, if you wear off-brand shoes, you get picked on, right? Um, and hip-hop culture was kind of coming into play, so what you wore defined you very much at this, at this stage. And my parents, they took me to this store called Payless and they bought me like a fake pair of Reebok shoes, but they looked exactly like the real ones. <laughs> and everybody knew they weren't the real version. Oh, they knew. Yeah, yeah, you could tell. Like they were specifically like a copy of the real version. Um, and so I got made fun of and I just went and got a job uh, delivering flyers for a pizza shop, which is ironic that I would start a marketing company as my actual business. but. Um, I just walked into a pizza shop and asked if I could deliver flyers um, for the pizza shop and the guy paid me like $20, $25 a week and I saved up enough money to buy shoes and I think that was like the first moment that I knew I was going to be, I, I, don't, I didn't know what an entrepreneur was, but I knew that I was going to do something that made money just because I felt that feeling of like um, having the control that I could buy what I want and people would respect me because kids respected me now. They didn't make fun of me anymore about the shoes. And I felt the difference. And I think from that moment forward, from the time I was 10, I was like, I'm going to work. Um, because my parents were poor, I didn't have the money, so I understood that like, if I wanted something, I was going to have to go get it. Um, so at 10, I started like working and pretty much worked my entire life since then. Not every day, but yeah. you know, overall, I've always had some job <laughs> since then. <laughs> 
Your dad, what is he doing? Uh, my father's a mechanic. Okay. He fixes cars. Okay. And uh, you went to college? And Me? Yeah. No, so I never went to university. I dropped out of high school when I was 16. Okay. Yeah. And you worked your way up to this. So how did you become the VP of sales in Miami now? Um, well, when you start working at 10, um, by the time you're 20 years old, you have a 10 year career. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 at 14 years old, I sold the newspaper door to door. Um, at 16 years old, I worked at, you know, like when you go get your oil changed, the guy that tells you you did all this extra stuff that you don't need, I was that guy. Um, and then I got a job working at a plumbing company and I just always was naturally good at sales, marketing, business development. Um, and in corporate America, it's different, you know. In a capitalistic society, if you're good, people are going to pay you. Mm -hmm. So you can overcome not having a degree much easier. Mm -hmm. uh, degrees are not as relevant. If you can produce results and another guy can't, you're going to win. Yeah. So a degree gives you no advantage, I feel in the business world because it's about who can deliver the results and then when you start working at 10 and by the time you're 20 you're already fully functioning employee you know how to get things done um, it just it just worked for me to where I was able to climb very good but I but I kind of had hit the ceiling by the time I was like 30 32 I had reached the max I was never going to be bigger than the VP of sales and marketing Why not? Um, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe this is a self-limiting belief, but I, I believe that I reached my max. And I also just felt like, you know, at 32, I had been working for 22 years. I really felt like sometimes I didn't really respect the CEO. I felt like I knew more and that I should, he should just shut up and listen to what I'm saying. Um, and so I just felt like I needed to do something on my own. You know, I just felt like I had maxed out where I was going there. You couldn't join another company? I joined different companies. That's, that was kind of... I think the problem for me in my, at, at a certain point is I just kept switching from company to company and I would get a big title, I would get a big salary based on my experience, but when you join, it's, it's kind of weird dynamic, when you work your, rank, your way up through the ranks in a company, you have so much proven track record that when you have an idea, people tend to listen to it more, but when you join a company as the VP of Sales and Marketing, and you want to start changing things, people are more hesitant to that because it's not their culture and you don't have a track record of success. Yeah. So it actually hindered me yeah. as I switched companies because people were like, okay, great, you have a big title, you have a big salary, but don't do anything. And it's like, well, why am I here? Um, and that was really frustrating for me. Like, So that's one of the reasons that really pushed me to start my own business. So that, that discomfort actually made you go into I hated it. I, I, I think more than I enjoy money, I just enjoy having an idea and doing it, even if it doesn't make money. Uh, sometimes as a fault of my own that I, I try things all the time, um, which works great as a marketer because you have to constantly try new things. Um, but when you're at, when you work at a job and you have a really big title but you're not really allowed to do anything, it, it really feels like you're just restricted, you know, and I didn't like that feeling at all. Have you been, even though you have not been to college, are you a constant learner where you read books and uh, I would say I would say that I, I, am, I am definitely a seeker of knowledge. Okay. Um, but see, when you're just, because I, I grew up dyslexic, I don't read well, right? Audio? So uh, what I did that I think, this is my opinion of it, is that I overdeveloped my audio, audio visual skills. 
and I naturally seek out mentors. They don't even know they're my mentor, but yeah, I'm listening and watching everything. And, and what I've done really well, I think, is found people that taught me stuff, and I would consume their whole mannerism. I learn from people more, um, so I tend to, even like, let's say when I came to Dubai, the first thing I did is I met with a lawyer, a consultant, a tax, and figured out the whole, how do you do it, what do you do? But I did that within like two days, just on Google. Found people, called them, asked questions, went, met with them, figured it out, opened a company. When most people probably are writing their business plan, I've had five conversations, three phone calls, and like done it. So I, I don't read, but I never stop you know, like finding the answer. I, I kind of consider myself a sniper. Like whatever I need, I find that information and I grab it and I go to the next thing. Um, I don't consume knowledge for the sake of consuming knowledge. I usually have a specific point that I'm looking for. But I'm always looking for something. The question of the week that we start off with, did you have an answer for yourself? What is troubling you the most at the moment? I did. What is it? Um, it was my mother, actually. Um, she just had a surgery. She's ill. Um, and the, the issue for me is that I send money, which has always kind of been our relationship. But she's 68. She's getting older. I'm on the other side of the world. I'm kind of torn between, yeah, I know I'm going to go for like the holidays, Christmas and New Year's, but I, I feel like I should be closer to her. But I also think that there's not much value I bring to the table in just being there all the time. Um, because the fact that I am out in the world making a lot of money allows me to help support them financially, which is actually helping them more, I think, than me just being around. So it kind of tugs at me a little bit. How long since you moved out? Of my house? Oh, when you're when you're in America, you move out like the day you're old enough to live on your own. You know, it's different. So you mean ten? Yeah, no, like 18, 18 okay. years old. The moment that you're considered an adult, adult. <laughs> when you're considered an adult, I mean, in American culture is a little bit different. Like the moment, yeah. like as a as a guy, you know, when you're 18 years old, like you're expected to go be a man and like live yeah. and provide, yeah. and, you know, because it's especially if you're not going to go to college, you you know that you're expected to make it somehow, so you're better off to just throw yourself out in the wilderness and figure out how to survive. And your parents tend to do that to you, too. Which is a good thing, right? Um, I think... In retrospect. For me, it is. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, I think my mother and father knew, like, I was dyslexic, I didn't read well, I didn't do well in school. They understood that the only way I was going to survive is if I learned how to make money. So they encouraged me to work at a very young age. And, it's better to make those mistakes at 18, 19, and 20, and 21 than do it in your 30s. You know, by the time you're in your 30s, you figured it out. You know what you're doing. So then you at a very young age that you're dyslexic. Oh yeah, yeah. I failed kindergarten. I mean, all the kids went to first grade. I stayed, so I knew something was wrong. You know, okay. uh, and the and the school, you know, they diagnose you pretty early on. Yeah. I mean, it's. Yeah, dyslexia, whether it's attention deficit disorder, which, you know, it's kind of overdiagnosed in America all the time, um, it's probably a combination of both. And how do you find your circle of genius? What do you find that, what you're really good at? How do you find that? Um, or when did you find it? I'm just better at just creating my own stuff. You know, when someone tells me to do something, I'm not very good at it, but if you tell me go figure this out, I will. So you start off your career selling, I mean, putting flyers, and then you start with newspapers. You start with different things, like, and each time you get, got to know yourself better, and then you realize 
this is something that I would like to take it to the next level. What was that? Actually, for me, it, I don't think it was a thing. It was just an understanding about life in general, I think, for me. Um, from 10 to 20, I kind of had a, stat a, a steady gradual growth in like, you know, going from $100 a week to $200 a week to $500 a week to $1,000 a week to where by the time I was 20, I was making actually hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, I was extremely successful by the time I was 20 years old. Um, and then I actually um, lost everything, became homeless, lived in my car. I How did you lose? Um, when you're 20 years old and you don't, you don't come from money and you're in America, or not just anywhere, let's say, um, you party a lot, you drink a lot, do a lot of drugs, I probably shouldn't say that, but, um, you know, you just kind of live a different lifestyle. You're 20 years old, you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars, your parents can't tell you anything because you've exceeded them successfully by, you know, tenfold at that age. Um, they rely on you for money, your friends rely on you for money, you're the most successful person at that age. Um, I just didn't manage it well. Um, and I was in love with one girl, she broke my heart. Um, and so it just kind of fell apart for me. Um, I lived in my car and I went on like a spiritual journey for like one year, maybe, maybe two. Learned to meditate, um, really got super spiritual for a while. And then I read this book, which for me to read a book, being dyslexic is like a serious commitment. Like you literally, like you're rock bottom if you're reading a book at this point, you know? <laughs> um, and I, huh? Which book? It was called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Um, I'm not particularly religious, to be honest with you, but at this moment, um, I really needed a purpose, you know? because. When you're 10, you start working and you make money, and you, you, I got kind of lost in the success because the evolution for me was the more money I made, the smarter I was. You know, so it's like you go from being dumb, you're considered dyslexic, you can't read, you fail kindergarten, you're made fun of, and then suddenly you're considered smart based on the money that you're making, and now you don't have that, and you can you feel dumb again, like something's wrong with you. You can feel the difference in the way people look at you. Um, and so I read this book, and what I under what I remembered or what I learned was that what made me successful was, and kind of the per the point of the book is that you know anyone in the Bible that's ever done anything great, you know, goes out into the desert for 40 days or goes to the mountain for 40 days or makes some commitment to God for 40 days to find his purpose, you know. It was that I was naturally good at servicing, serving people. And that I would seek out mentors, but I would ultimately serve them. Like most of my bosses, I looked up to them. And I wanted to please them so bad that whatever needed to get done, I would just figure it out. Um, and that natural s skill or point of way of thinking was what was making me successful. Um, and so that, that was what I understood like my life was about serving other people. From your home, how much of your personality is defined by your parents? I think that you can't grow up in a household and not have unconscious belief systems that affect the way you think based on your parents. It's, it's, un, it's unconscious, so obviously there's an unconscious belief system there. I think for me, 
which is funny that you bring that up because in the book what they what one of the things he asked you to do is he asked you to list your mother and your father and every significant person um, before you like the age of 18 or growing up and list the positive and negative things that you remember about them and then to look at yourself and say you know what what affected you or what do you still believe from that and what do you want to choose to keep what's the positive that you want to take with you and what's the negative that you want to consciously get rid of and it's still unconscious but I think when you can consciously recognize certain habits that your parents have certain beliefs that they pass down to you and you can at least acknowledge them yeah um, doesn't mean they're going to go away, but at least you have the awareness of them that they're there, which I think I've, I've been able to do. Yeah. Any questions before I move on? Yeah. At the age of 10, I think there's so much that you didn't tell us. Why did you choose the pulling the... the you, could, you did not choose to fit in, you chose to find your space. Uh, well, I think when, you're fail, when, you, when you fail kindergarten, and the whole group of kids move on, you're automatically singled out. You're automatically different whether you chose so to. So, where do your parents try to buy your shoes so that you can fit in within that group and not be put up? What age was that? No, so that's different. So, what that is is that um, my parents didn't have the money to buy expensive shoes. And expensive shoes like Nikes and Reeboks and Adidas are what made you cool kind of as a kid. Um, and because my parents just didn't have the money, it wasn't like they singled me out, they just couldn't afford it. Um, it was my own desire to not want to be made fun of, and it was actually me wanting to fit in more than anything that drove me to go get a job and put the shoes on and say, okay, now I'm like everyone else, stop making fun of me. Um, so I think that was more of the driving factor. I'm sorry, I just want to know, whether you had an option to join a gang or be part of any strong committee that can give you, can give you the, the protection and the, the space and recognition in the neighborhood? Yeah, uh, so I grew up predominantly in a Mexican neighborhood. I'm half Mexican, half white. Um, and so I wasn't Mexican enough to be in the gang, and I wasn't white enough to hang out with my kids, so I was always <laughs> kind of like, I was never really in a group ever. I was always kind of a seagulled out person. You know? device perfect for <laughs> <laughs> uh, We all fit in over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you, as you said, at this age, this is the perfect recipe to become a gangster. Yeah. And you didn't. You choose to make your own world, not to fit within the existing world. Well, I just never fit in. Um, I did, that just didn't fit. Didn't it was the biggest blessing you had. Yeah, I didn't fit in. It was like the biggest blessing you had, that you were not fit in one of these options that were available. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're growing up, it doesn't feel that way. It feels yeah. like... Feels horrible. Yes, I know. Like, I but feel, then, I feel what you feel. when you're 18 and 20 years old and you're the most successful person, you're like, oh, this worked out my favor, you know. <laughs> but it takes a while. I have my own gang. Yeah, yeah, it takes a while to get there, you know. One of the reasons why I went into flashback mode and tried to identify things about your childhood was something that you said in the very beginning, uh, where you said, "I wanted to be free. Yeah. I just wanted to feel." just travel and be on your own. And that feeling comes from a childhood where you felt very restricted. Um, I think the childhood I was, I, I put that, I feel like by the time I was 22 and I went on that spiritual journey, I feel like I put that, I was good with it, I closed that chapter. What I think the freedom part for me is that 
what I didn't realize about when I lost everything, I was actually free. Like, the material success trapped me at some point, the cars, the money, the lifestyle, just the, the, the pressure that was coming from that. Yeah. And I actually spent the next decade of my life getting that back, only to get it and not want it. Um, because I went from dumb, successful, nothing, I spent 10 years of my life getting that success back so I could feel like, all right, I'm someone again, you know, people respect me again. And then at 32, I was like, I don't even want this. I mean, I, I have a great car, I have a nice apartment, I have a beautiful girlfriend, I have a great job, I have a great title, and I don't want any of it. I actually just want to travel the world and be free and go wherever I want, whenever I want, and I don't even care about money anymore. Um, so the freedom thing is more of what happened after that. I, I kind of retrapped myself into the material success because I was so focused on proving that no, I really am smart. You know, I got stuck in that mode that people looked down on me because of what happened, that I went on this journey to get it back. And that was more of the freedom thing, I think. So what's the best failure that you've had? You've had so many, I know, but... <laughs> what is the best one? Like, meaning best What's meaning? been the most transformational one? I think it was the losing everything. Because it... it Did it, you lose it overnight, or was it... Small it felt like overnight. I mean, it was probably like a six-month period, but it yeah. felt like dramatically, you're on top of the mountain, and you're at the bottom of the mountain, just left for dead, you know? Yeah. That's what I would say the experience was like. Um, because it really was... I, I had tremendous success. I was traveling all over the country. I mean, my parents, uh, at 20 years old, you take care of your parents, your friends depend on you for everything, money. You're, you're the center of attention because you really are the most successful person that everybody knows. You're 20 years old, you can't even grow a beard yet, you know. <laughs> you know, like, and then suddenly you're, you're nothing. You know, you have nothing, you live in a car. And, do you think it's a good idea that if you are very successful just to keep it under wraps, not tell anybody, just move on with life? It is better, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I think so, right? Yeah. I think... No need to flash I, well, I, I, it, it, it's also, it just creates an undue pressure on yourself to live up to it. Yeah. You know, I think that um, it creates a lot of exterior pressure to maintain that image. And I can tell you as an entrepreneur, there's been moments where I've been extremely successful, followed by moments where you know, I'm not sure it's going to work out. So if I would have over-projected my success in the moments of success, then it puts even more pressure for me when times are not good. And the reality is an entrepreneur, you're going to have both. Ups and downs, yeah. You know, you're going to have moments where cash is great and everything is great, and then you're going to have a cash flow issue, and you're scraping by, but you're figuring it out, but you're not really... I lost everything, read the book, and then went on a journey to get it all back, only to realize I never so wanted it. So what was happening before, just before five years? Um, I was reaching the peak of my corporate America success. Um, 
you moved to London? You moved to London? No, no, no. I was, Australia. I was, still, I was living in the U.S. Still, when I, when I finally started my digital marketing company, um, I had a job making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. I worked from home. I was the VP of sales and marketing. Nobody bothered me all day, but every time the owner of the company would call me, I'd be so mad, you know. God, God, why is he calling me? And he's my boss, you know, he's supposed to just talk to him like once a week. And I hated the fact that I had to talk to him once a week. And it had nothing to do with him, it just had the fact that I had to do it. And I just wanted a life where I could do whatever I want, whenever I want, without the worry about money. And I just decided to start a digital marketing company because I felt like I can do that from a laptop and a cell phone anywhere in the world. <laughs> And I started watching YouTube videos on how to run pay-per-click campaigns and how to run Facebook campaigns and just started telling everybody I was a digital marketing guy and just started selling it. <laughs> and I just started doing it, you know? That's it. And I just created that life for myself. Self-taught. Wow. Yeah, I just watch YouTube videos mostly on everything. Yeah. And you can just learn everything from there, right? You don't need to... I, I feel like my... I think... If you going back to what is my greatest fail, I think the greatest thing that ever happened to me is that I failed kindergarten and I was told I was dyslexic. Because I overdeveloped my audiovisual skills and there's nothing that I can't figure out. There's nothing that I can't emulate. If I see it, I can figure it out. I can't read it, but I can figure it out. <laughs> 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 can you give us an example? What is the last thing that you just learned? Okay, um, Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go look at my Instagram one year ago, July 2017, I'm a normal person who posts selfies and pictures of his feet in the sand saying, here I am. And I've created a business 100% from Instagram. And I just watched people like Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, Ty Lopez. I was like, oh, I'll just copy those guys. They figured it out. I'll just start doing the same stuff. And I just started making videos and graphics and posting and talking about entrepreneur stuff. And, oh. So if you were to tell us something about how we should handle our Instagram, what would you say? It I don't know. It depends on what you want to do with it. Um, so that's where we should start, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to understand what, where you're going. You know, yeah. like I understood that I was trying to build a digital marketing company talking about sales, marketing, business development, entrepreneurship on my Instagram. And the fact is, I think a lot of people, they get on Instagram without any plan. They well, just yeah. get on there and just put some photographs. But there's no plan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to have a clear plan on where you're going if you yeah. want to build a business around it. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing I, I would say is the real secret to Instagram is it's not about you. If you want people to follow you, you've got to engage with other people first. If you want people to know who you are, you need to comment and like on their pictures and not mm -hmm. wait for people to comment and like on yours because mm -hmm. they're not going to find you. Um, you should be posting way more, like you were talking about, how can you get more people here? Like everybody should be posting a story as it's happening. People are gonna be more likely to check who you are, who I am. Are you guys listening? We do that, I'm right. That's gonna get you way more. I mean, going back to being of service of people, it's the same concept. If, if you wanna be successful on social media, it's way more about what you're doing for other people and how you're engaging with other people than it is getting people to engage with you. Yeah. So I'm going to rephrase that. If you guys don't want to get more popular on Instagram, you got to take content like what we are having over here and repost it. Yeah. Right? So it's not about you. So 
like a live uh, live feed me insta stories like if every one of you guys post an insta story and you tag me and him they're going to check who we are and it's going to grow and, and the more that they see that you're doing that, and the more that you take pictures and you tag other people, you go to restaurants, you tag those restaurants, that's how people find you. So unless you're not a bikini model, you should do something like this. Yeah. Otherwise, there are fitness, there's a lot of Instagram where they just post selfies about them. And yeah, but there's a lot of people in fitness where they post workout pictures with other people and they're sharing each other's yeah. followings. Yeah. yeah. And they're crossing. Like I told you, the biggest thing that I did that's made me successful in Dubai is I created a YouTube show called The Window to Dubai. And every week I interview an entrepreneur and I have them tell their story of how they became an entrepreneur and how they became successful in Dubai. And they naturally promote me. I don't ask them to do it, I don't tell them. They do it on their own. And therefore I reach their followers. Every week I'm reaching a new group of followers who don't know I am. Yeah. And that's how I've grown my Instagram. Brilliant. Any questions? Uh, right. So, totally off uh, from what you were saying, awesome, I uh, love the story. Just wanted to ask, like I saw that your uh, agency was called Eat. Wait, wait, you're posting a story on Instagram, right? Yeah, yes, I speak, I can see that. Yeah. He's <laughs> so, in a digital marketing. Yeah, so <laughs> I noticed that uh, your uh, company is called Eat.Marketing, so like, can you tell, can you describe like what Eat <laughs> signifies and why dot .Marketing and does it not like, you know, inhibit dot the <laughs> .com, you know, intuitivity? Yeah, uh, so eight is uh, my birthday in numerology, March 22nd, 1981, adds up to the number eight. Uh, going back to my earlier story of like, finding my purpose of being of service, right? There was a moment where it clicked for me that I could be successful as a marketer because I'm going to serve other people and make them successful by my ideas and strategies to grow their business. And eight being the life path, destiny, number, numerology, it all came together for me and I said, ah, it's eight marketing, you know? And you can turn eight to the side and it means infinity, the symbol of infinity. So I felt like this is a limitless opportunity for me to provide my service and provide my purpose in life like I found it. And indirectly, I'm going to make money from that somehow. Uh, so that's why eight marketing. And then the eight dot marketing, um, I, ha I wanted it to be eight marketing. So I didn't care about the dot com as much as it said eight marketing. That was, so it, it mattered more to me. So your website has got no dot com? It's no dot com. Yeah. Can I, eight dot marketing. Can I add one more perspective to it? It can be also eat marketing. <laughs> yeah, when the eight gets tilted. Did you know that in Chinese <laughs> culture, eight is a very, very lucky number? No, no, yeah. It is a very, very lucky number. So if you have Chinese clients, they will sign up with you. Yeah, I'm going to start Googling them right now. Yes. <laughs> Chinese companies looking for a marketing company right now. Any questions? Uh, you said that um, uh, like undue pressure on you would be a bad thing, but w wouldn't that be an advantage as well? Like, as in, you don't show your success to the world. Uh, I mean, if you do show it, wouldn't that be like an advantage as well? Because it'll push you to reach your goal. I mean, it's just something. That yeah, I mean, I I think 
I think exterior pressure or peer pressure can be a positive thing, but I think when it comes to material stuff, it can create a false sense of living up to something that's not always real, and to constantly show more and more and more, especially like an Instagram and just the way right now, I think, even just like the culture of entrepreneurship being cool and you can make a lot of money, and I think that, and I don't want to say real entrepreneurs, but just entrepreneurs in general can tend to make a lot of money but then also spend it very fast on other ideas. Because if you're an entrepreneur and you really are that type of person, you just naturally love the idea more than you love the money. You just happen to make a good idea every now and then that makes a bunch of money, but you usually have 90 other ideas that don't. And if there's more kind of I, I have something that I always say is success and failure are equally passing moments in time. So you can be successful for a certain period of time, but you're also going to have a certain amount of failure. And I think that if you overshow your success at the height of it, it can create undue pressure to stay there and maintain that and live up to that and not necessarily focus on what you need to do to maintain success. That's a very good question and actually it's got me thinking. Uh, pressure happens when we have to become somebody for the sake of others. But if we are embracing our success and failures in an equal way, just like for example Elon Musk, he fails, he fails on a big scale. And he doesn't give two hoots about what other people think about it. Yeah. He, he embraces himself in his failures and success in equal measure. Right? Yeah. On a big scale, and it doesn't look like he's taking any pressure from. Uh, so I think when you start having a pseudo character, when you start having a character which is not true to yourself, what do you think? Yeah, I'll give you an example. I just uh, I had a, I had a conference that I brought in um, a friend from the United States to talk. We did a content creator conference at the Five Palm Jumeirah. It was a big event. It was all about creating content, and I brought all these different people. And I brought one guy from America specifically. And I picked him up, and I have I, I have a G-Class Mercedes, right? And he asked me, how come you never post this on Instagram? I was like, because it doesn't feel like I'm always killing it enough that I want to put that out there for my life. I mean, it's in 2006, it's not like, you know, it's not a big deal, but it, it was a, for him, the idea that you're in Dubai, and you have this car, and you have this business, and you have a show, and you're doing a conference, you should be bragging about it. But I was explaining to him, I'm in the middle of a cash flow issue. I don't have time to like brag about the moment because right now is not a great moment for me. Really, underneath it, I look like it, but I, I got my own struggles that I'm battling through that this is not the reality of what's going on in the day to day. And I think that if I did do that, I would feel more pressure to live up to that when it's not always what you're experiencing in real time. People like to do business with people who are successful. Right. People like to associate, especially if you're looking at the screen, they like to be associated with people who are really over there. And which is the reason why everybody drives the big cars that they do and everything. Somebody was saying the other day, you know, you're driving a Lamborghini and you're driving a Toyota Sunny, I mean a Toyota Corolla, and shake that road, the traffic gets blocked, you both are driving at the same speed. So it really doesn't matter and both cars have the same purpose if it is of getting you from one point to other. But there's a perception that a car brings 
to the table. Yeah. And the reason why we have that card is because we want to create that perception. Yeah. And that's what your friend is talking about, I believe. Yeah. Uh, you're losing an opportunity to create the perception if you have, because you have bought the card for a perception. So why not utilize the perception is my question. The opportunity to create the perception, because it's all about perception, right? Yeah, I just think, I just feel like that's not my, what I want to project on social media. It's just not okay. what I want. I want to be known as like smart, nerdy, digital marketing guy. <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. You don't look um, nerdy. <laughs> that's more of... Yeah, I would like to add something. Now, when you were asking the question, the first thing that came to my mind is the Nike shoes. Yeah. Remember like your story when you were a child and buying that brand just to show the people. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying, and I could relate to. Uh, I had a story like I usually drive good car, but one day like my car was in an accident, so I drove like like a normal car. Yeah. And I felt different treatment. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And I didn't even get away like like it was in Abu Dhabi, very crowded in the parking, and like I didn't even get the basic respect to you know just pass in the road. And yeah. I'm like. <laughs> No. Just because my yeah. car was different. I love the G class because they always think you're local, so they get out of your way. And I use it too. I'm like, no, I'm getting in there. So you're right? half Mexican, half white, and half uh, UAE national. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mix up everything. Yeah. 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 I just, uh, I mean, just to reflect on that and build on that. So, how do you define real in digital world then? I what think is it, the definition for it's a, up to you. I mean, it's what you feel is real. But know? then again, I mean, I'm just like my, just to follow it up is that the digital world, it's all about image perception or something which is, you know, uh, ether, is yeah. an ether. And we all know like social media connectivity that has sort of brought some interesting uh, reality in people's lives. And the definition is getting blurred and blurred day by day that people don't have real connections on physical spaces, but have on digital spaces and vice versa. So how do you define and if there is any definition going forward or are we like... I mean, I, I base it on how I feel. If I feel like it's what I really believe and I put it out there, then I believe it. Uh, I, I try not to put anything out on my social media that I don't actually believe. Or just because, like, I do know that for what I do, it probably would look better if I put more of the success and the financial material stuff on my social media. But it doesn't feel right for me, so I don't do it. And your professional take on it? Like, for others, supposedly, like... I think age. if you're building a personal brand, it should feel authentic. You, you shouldn't do anything or say anything that you don't believe. And if, if, if you don't think it's going to benefit you, even if it could benefit you, but it doesn't benefit you in the way you want it to, then I don't think you should put it out there. Can I, can I say something? Is there a difference between building a brand and building a personal brand? For example, if I'm trying to build a brand mm -hmm. on social media, but I don't want it to be my brand, I want it to be who I am, not who the person Sammy, but I want it to be the result of Sammy. Let's say I will create a brand called Your Own Mentor, for example, mm -hmm. or, or The Right Mentor, mm -hmm. or The Motivational. Is this a good strategy to really launch your campaign under a tag name, not under your personal name? Um, 
So you build a brand, not a personal brand? Um, I, I, specifically to that type of business, I think that that's a personal brand strategy overall because you're mentoring people, so it's about you really at the end of the day. Um, personal branding is creating a halo effect over your business. Imagine you're here, your business is here. You're shining a light on your business by explaining your experience and knowledge about that business. Indirectly, it shines a light on your business. And that's the halo effect of a personal brand. So, yeah, you, you want to focus on your content because at the end of the day, it is about your knowledge and experience. How are you going to mentor people unless you know what you're talking about? So you got to share that knowledge and experience on content for people to go, oh, this guy knows his business just happens to be called XYZ Mentor. So when, when I build something for people to say, this guy knows, I don't want them to say, follow Sammy. I don't want them to say, Sammy is the right answer. I want the brand itself, your mentor or the brand that I'm developing. This is what I've always wanted to do. And I've been advised not to. I've been advised to focus on my name. But I always said to myself, in this busy social media life, I can see people succeeded, not because of their names, but because of their strategy. Yeah. So would you recommend the right strategy for not the personal name? I mean, I, specifically to mentoring, no, I don't, I don't think it will work because you're the mentor. Unless you have a group of mentors, yeah, makes sense. Then you have to show each group of mentors what they do. But if, if at the end of the day, if you're going to mentor me, I don't want to see your business page. I want to see what you know. Otherwise, why would, I ment why would I pay you to let you mentor me if I don't know what you know? So it's more about you at the end of the day than, your, than the brand. Uh, unless, the, the brand is just who they're going to pay. Unless the long-term strategy is to have other mentors coming together. Yeah, if it's going to be you're a consulting group, a mentoring group, where each mentor has a different segment, now it's the brand, yeah. and then you're individualizing the content around each mentor and what they bring to the table. That was a social media digital marketing consultation live. <laughs> for free. Yes, for free. for free. Oh, wait, this is free? And Samir will handle Yes. Uh, thanks for sharing your experience, Aliyam. Yeah. One question you said that there's a spirituality period in your life, right? So, is there any insights from that uh, spirituality which you have gone through, which is helping current, uh, you know? To take on jobs and be in any position to understand this, like focus on helping someone, Indirectly, I will benefit and I will make money somehow, somewhere along the way, even if it's not always clear, um, has been probably the biggest thing that came out of it. And then at the end of it, I, it's, I, this is probably not the most spiritual thing to say, but at the end of it, I found that it didn't all really matter. You know, my, I was questioning my beliefs in God and what do I really want out of life, and, and, and I got to a point to where I realized it didn't matter and there wasn't a reason to spend so much time questioning this and that if I just went out was a good person I served people it would all work out that was probably the biggest thing yeah yeah, Can I? yeah sure uh, I have read one uh, strategy in business environment that is if your price is low and quality is high yeah. okay I have read one strategy 
if your price is low and quality is high consumer is bound to buy your product are you uh, agree with this statement when you said low price is low as compared to comp competitor yeah and the quality is high as per the competitor then consumer will come are you agree with this strategy i mean technically yeah. But I mean, you still have to have people have to find you, so you need marketing. That's one thing. By itself, no, it doesn't stand alone. Technically speaking, it can work. But if your price is low and it's not profitable, it doesn't matter because you won't survive even if the customers come. I would say that it's not about it's not about being low or high. It's it's not about it's it's about being different. You know, it's about separating yourself and creating something that separates you as different. If you're the same as everyone else, or you're the lowest priced, or this or that, it's not gonna make the difference. What's gonna make the difference is what do you bring to okay, the market Okay, let's different? take one uh, example. Briyani is very popular in this part of the world. Two shopkeepers make briyani, chicken briyani. And the same ingredient, same recipe, but one X person have a very good or tasty briyani just because of a magical touch. And other person, the biryani is not that much good. But the the person X who have a good quality of biryani, he offers at the cheaper price. Then, who will supposed to be uh, attract more customer? Because you guys are changing the game that that for the show. Well, the guy with the better if, tasting. If you're saying yeah. all all uh, matters are the same, uh -huh. what you're saying is all but, conditions being the same. All conditions being the same. And one person is offering it cheaper? Cheaper with the best taste. But then so the it's not the same then? No, no. Yeah. The difference the is the taste. Raw, raw material is same, but the output, the taste is yeah, a different. So then we go with the, that's an obvious choice, right? We obvious choice. This is a fundamental of the business strategy. But market, uh, digital market teams or sales promotions team, to change this fundamental of a strategy. That's what I want. I'll give you all, can I just share something? There was a restaurant over here in Alkuz. Uh -huh. uh, it has closed down now. Okay. The guy was running the most amazing coffee shop. The food was fantastic. And he used to have people coming from five-star hotels who would come and check his menu, check the way he was preparing. He used to buy the best meat, the best beef and everything. Whatever he was buying was the best quality. And he closed down. And the people who came from those five-star hotels, what they said is, if you're offering such excellent quality, and if you're selling it cheap, people will think there's something wrong. They will not yeah. believe. They will not believe there is something right. Either you've got your pricing wrong, or they will think you're fooling them. They will not believe that it is actually cheap. No. I think the biggest difference, just to yeah. I think that, first of all, if the guy has a better product and he's charging less, then he's just dumb, yeah. to be honest with you. What is his reason for selling cheap? He's an idiot. I mean, why would, you, why would anybody do that? No, this this is strategy I have read in one of the business books, and I come across very successful people have launched this strategy, very successful men. But other than that, they just because failed because of marketing team because their competitor. No, they failed because they failed because they had a better product and they sold it for too low, too low, too low margin. They couldn't sustain themselves long term. They didn't make money. At the end of the day, you have to make money as a business. 
Would you agree that successful companies or businesses don't compete on price? Do you agree on that? I I mean, I compete on price, right? I I think that it comes down to separating yourself in the market and bringing something different to the table and not focusing on price. Yeah. If you're focused on price, always your price is always going to be forced down. You're always going to be brought down. And then somebody else will come and bring it down. There will always be that. You have to bring something different. You have to yeah. differentiate yourself no, in some but, way. But in this strategy, we are talking about the premium customer. We are the premium customer is not going to buy it based on price. No, they always go for higher, higher uh, cost. Higher qualities, higher price. Quality. Yeah, higher quality and higher... The, the, the premium customer was never going to walk in and go, give me the cheapest thing. Yeah. That's not your customer. That's not a premium customer. I'll tell you an example. Um, I have clients that I do their social media campaigns for. Mm -hmm. I, I create the content. I do it for. The person that I charge the most is the happiest. The people that I give a discount to and yeah. I give them a good price, they're never happy. Because they think they could have got more. It is a science. It's, it's a subconscious. It's, they cannot control it. They feel like they could have got more. And I don't want to give extra because they got me down on price, so I'm not going to work any harder for them than what's on that contract. But the guy that I just ripped his head off. The last question. After that, I will not yeah. ask anything. <laughs> wherever, I go, uh, where, wherever I go, in whichever is mall I go, everywhere I see 10% discount, 20% discount, 30% discount. So they are running on the basis of this psychology, which I, uh, I was discussing with you. They, they, they think like if they reduce the price, customer will come and buy more. So they are full? Or what? Um, no, I mean, just to, they don't, uh, they're making I can actually <laughs> say, I mean, I have a Biryani restaurant, right? Yes. And I can tell you very clearly about what he just said about the same fact. Like on Zomato, for example, you have discounts, right? They have plenty of discounts. So I've put up in a campaign, 25% discount during the summer time, right? And so well said, people were buying and then making bad com like complaints of complaints of complaints. The same people were buying it from online. <coughs> they came to our restaurant, they had our food with the, without discount, and they were full of compliments. Oh, and the same and the price we are asking, we actually ex increased the price uh, because of the discount online. But this price that they used to say, the fact is some psychological aspect. When they had a discount, they are like, oh, why did I even send a 10, uh, 15 dirhams even, right? But when they came to a restaurant, they had a biryani, they are like, man, this is a biryani that no, even gazebo doesn't have it. Oh, my, my question is in these and it was 40 dirhams. Over there, he was paying 15 dirhams, uh, and I in the shop, he was paying 40 dirhams. So there are different dynamics why organizations give discounts. One is to get their stock out so that they can get the new stock in. They don't have discounts throughout the year, right? They have it inside. But why is all together in one go? Everybody because that's how Dubai government uh, dictates it. No, that they have seasons and months where you can have discounts. I mean, just like Google or Facebook, it's free, right? Is it? Yeah. Is it really free, you think? No. no. That's, so what I'm, that's the whole thing. I mean, it's all about enticing it, right? It's basically getting it, the people in, try your product, once you get hooked on it, you get addicted to it, then they raise the price. Well, That's what Microsoft did also. Everything. This is when you said about raising your prices and then them being the happiest customers, and that actually encourages you, right, to keep increasing the price and keep looking well, for better Well, what customers. happens is when you when you do charge 
Premium. Premium. You over deliver. Yeah. yeah. When you charge at a lower <coughs> price, you tend to deliver at what's in the contract or below. Yeah. And anything above that, it upsets you to do more. So it's 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 a it's a self defeating relationship with customer and, and business to sell at a discounted price. It just is. I mean, I've been in business for five years, and the people that paid me what I wanted at the price and they didn't negotiate always got the best service. The guy who got me down, I took the contract. Uh, he asked me for an extra picture. I was like, whatever. I don't want to give it to you. Fine. You know. But it it and it, it's it's not a sustainable business. It's it's separating yourself and creating something different is what's going to last and create a long-term business. You know what he's saying? I didn't put it in those contexts till now, but it's making a lot of sense for me when I started raising my prices and started my coaching rates just went above and I realized I'm serving few rather than serve many. When you serve at a lower price, you have to serve many. Yeah. And when you serve many, you are stretched. When you serve few, you can give it your best. Yeah. And what happens is you actually have the opportunity to become your best in those scenarios because you're serving only a few. And, and, maybe, we're, and maybe we're talking something different here, products versus services, you know. A one-time transactional item, yeah, 10% off is going to get the guy to purchase. But if you're running a business that involves a service, no, I don't think you should ever build it based around price. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, like, uh, on your profile, like, uh, what you mentioned earlier is that... Like, it's on his homework. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, did you follow me, though? <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just kidding. So, uh, so I saw that... Uh, you, what you mentioned is that you uh, are inspired from uh, Gary Vee, uh, Tyler Bissack, content and all that. So uh, what I want to ask you is that, how do you feel in terms of inspiring other people, in terms of feedback? Do you, Are you, like, happy about... Uh, the kind of uh, advice you're giving and uh, things you write and all that. I I think that a lot of people say they want to inspire people, but I think most people want to be known for inspiring people that actually inspire people. I think for me, um, what I I feel like my just content strategy is to share knowledge more than anything right now. I don't, if you really look at it, I'm not really ranting and like go, go all in, you know. I mean, I have some quotes on there and stuff. Um, but I, I think for me, it's more about just the knowledge that I'm, gonna, I'm trying to share. Um, and then with the window to Dubai, it's more about understanding that if I provide a platform for other people, my following will grow going back to being a service to people. I think when you, for me, I, I'm more focused on that than really trying to be like a motivational figure. Um, I shared my story like on YouTube about my life, mostly to give credibility that, because I think 37 could be considered young, 37 years old could be considered young to be telling people how they should think or business-wise, right? So I shared my story more as credibility that like, hey, I did start working when I was 10, therefore I have been working for 27 years, therefore I could give someone advice on what to do, right? Not necessarily to inspire people. Okay, um, now when you were talking about the sales and so on, but what triggered it to my mind is uh, negotiation. Uh, would you suggest like if you are, for example, in an offer situation to negotiate that price or just like 
consider other option, just say no or yes? What is the, your take on negotiation? I would say, um, in my experience, is that going back to anyone that you give a discount or deal to, it, they won't be happy anyways. And it's going to be a, it's, it's not going to work out long term. If it's a certain, like for mine, it's a service business, right? I have to have an ongoing relationship with this person to create their content and tell their story. If they're negotiating with me on my rate, that means they don't value me or they don't value the service enough. It's better for me to walk away because they're going to give me a negative review and say, oh, Will's not very good. And that's not the case. They just negotiated me so much that by the time they finally sign the contract, I almost don't want to work on their stuff. Now. I don't mean from only from their side. I mean from your side. Like if they offer something, you should just say. Just pay. If you want it, pay. Okay. No, like, I mean, like you set your uh, rate and you say you take it or no, and we don't negotiate much, right? Yeah. Okay. I would say that, yeah. For the optimal amount of success, obviously, starting a business, you may need to do that. But if you can get to a place where you know you can deliver what you're selling, you shouldn't. What, what about negotiating where, okay, if you have a client and if the client can give you something which is of equal value but not money, will you take it? I would never, I don't ever do it. No. It'll never work out. Everyone I've ever done that with, it never works out. Yeah. Because you, 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 even, even the clients that I have had that, I've said, you pay me, I pay you. If you suck, I'm going to stop paying you. But I'm not going to work out a trade where I'm forever stuck in this thing where I don't value what you bring to the table. Yeah. Um, I, I think, and that's something that's different on this side of the world, to be honest with you. <laughs> in America, no one would ever offer you a trade. Yeah. People know you have to pay, or don't talk to me type thing. The only here, people are like, well, I'll trade you this, and I'm like, oh. I, I had to learn that part of this side of the world um, <laughs> that doesn't exist. But like, in the United States, no, like no one, it would be disrespectful. Yeah. To ask for a trade. Even, even uh, in British, I think, culture, right? Yeah, like services, you don't trade. Like, no, like you pay and I pay. And that's it. If you're good, then I keep paying you. If you're not good, I stop paying you. And that's how we work, you know? Here, people trade a lot more, which is different. But no, I'm not used to that. It's because there is a lot of trading, right? Yeah. yeah, here it happens a lot. A lot of people trade. A lot of people offer barters. Yeah. Um, but it's different, yeah. What do you mean by trading? Trading services. Uh, I'll give you an example. I had a guy who was helping me write a book about my life. And he was going to come be a public speaker at my conference. And, you know, I'm paying him like $10,000, let's say, to finish my book and edit it and do all this stuff. And I invite him to my event to be a sponsor, but of course I'm expecting him to pay. And he's like, well, what if we trade 10,000 dirhams and I get the, the booth and then I can be on stage. And I'm like, well, I don't even know how to like put value to that in my mind now. Can you just pay me and I pay you? And it's like that happens a lot here. That like in America, that guy would never ask me that. He just would never bring that up because he would realize that that's kind of an insult. He'd be like, "Okay, your price is X. Yeah, I see value in your event. I'll be a sponsor." Or, "Hey, I don't want to be a sponsor." So in this culture, if it is so predominant, why are you not adopting or adapting? Um, I mean, I have. I just I don't think it works. Okay. I, I don't think it's, I've tried it, I just don't think, I think both parties end up not feeling good about it at the end, yeah. personally.
So we have this small tradition over here where you pick up a card. And uh, thank you so much for that uh, insightful conversation. I, I have my own takeaways and it's amazing and brilliant. Uh, this card has quotes on it. Different quote on each one. You're going to make me read in public, are you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you pick an idea. Just pick one and I'll read it. Doesn't matter. It says it takes just one insight to change your business forever. Yeah. So you don't want to read. No, but you can read the code, right? I'll read it. But uh, before, yeah. I'm gonna read it a couple of times before I read it out loud. Okay. But don't read it now. Don't just, read it. Just you can read it a couple of times because they're gonna give us reflections on what they're taking away. Yes. Um. For me, there is one amazing reflection, especially the one about the Nike shows story. Like when you, when you are a child, how uh, you wanted, like your drive for for money was uh, other people what they believe. Yeah, so you wanted to show that image, and uh, now I saw like the evolving, and you say like that's not my drive anymore, which is like very nice because you. Throughout your speaking today, you were saying like I let go some of limiting beliefs, and you are more aware of why are you doing it. There is a lot of reflection. Like it's amazing. Sorry. Yeah. Similar to this, I would like to add. You said a very interesting sentence that at the age of 20, 22, you were super successful. In six months, you lost everything, and you spent next 10 years to gain back everything just to realize that you don't need it anymore or you don't want it anymore. Yeah. So that was a very deep reflection. Yes. Uh, sometimes, as I said, uh, you don't need to gain all the knowledge because you know you need only the information which you can you know take it and execute it. Like you said, you are a go and getter. If you want something, you go and find out and get the information and execute it. Sometimes we just seek for more knowledge, but the adaptation of that knowledge is very minimal. So that's my takeaway. Uh, the statement which we have made was, you know, the degrees are not important as much as what your experience on the ground, which is which 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 he's, he's had a real success about. So you know, one one feels, you know, this specific example, one feels that going a methodical way is not necessarily the only way to success. You can you can have other ways of also reaching that success. Uh, one thing I might actually say uh, that uh, you said that you know you're always looking for ideas and want to apply those ideas and keep on doing, finding new ways to do things. So that is something that, and then uh, on top of that, you know you also want to put a value on it, not just uh, you know have an idea, try to do for others, and then just like example, engage in a barter after for it then. But put up a price so that people could actually respect you and see what you're, you know, have done it before on it or behind uh, this idea. There is a lot of, you know, sweat that has actually poured in. So that is something that I'll take in. Yes. And uh, the information that you gave about pricing, about uh, having happier customers through a higher pricing. Uh, actually very insightful because you would think that uh, you know lowering your price would give you more customers which could be the case but still having happier customers uh, is pretty good. Yeah. yeah. I want to do the same thing about the price 
like charge high price to a premium customer. So when people paying high, they already have the perception like the service is really worth. So when they get the service, it's uh, satisfy their uh, expectation. They are satisfied. Yes. Um, I missed the beginning, but uh, what inspired me was even in your times of desperation, you didn't like lose hope. You still carried on. You could have easily like just said, you know, I've had enough and perhaps gone back or something like that. But you didn't let go. You you know you worked at it again. You lost. You you became a success only to find out you didn't want it. But you didn't just give it up and say take the easy way back or borrow from someone else or something like you. You know, you kept at it and showed that you could do it. Whether you liked it after that is a different story. But that even if you fail again tomorrow, you know, like Donald Trump, you're, you're still Donald Trump. <laughs> My takeaway is uh, purpose give you the everything, money and the frame. Just like you got the purpose of your life now, you are a good professional and settle with everything, whatever you want. So I will search my purpose. I teach strategy to MBA students and one of the, the common examples I use when I describe strategy is that of Starbucks and Southwest Airlines when we talk about creating value. But I think your story has given me one more example of this whole concept <coughs> of the value proposition. Uh, you articulated that very well. So how you create the value and how you have created that value over the years through the process of change from wanting to get that money to now saying it's not the money, it's the value that I offer and therefore if you want the value, you pay. It's not the money which matters, it's the value that you want to get which is important and that dictates our whole life as well, the, value, the concept of the value proposition. Whoever you are, you offer a value, you want to get value. You don't offer the value, you're going to get discounted like hell and then nobody's going to respect you anyway. And I think a mistake a lot of us make is discounting ourselves. You articulate that very well, but don't do that. I'm just reflecting on my own. I'm saying, here is a man who learned, made himself by himself, being broke right from the scratch, from 10 years old. And when he was broke, and he went, took the social media uh, waves by himself he learned it from youtube he had unlimited mentors he learned from this world whatever he needs to build himself what excuse do we really have <laughs> and today i really say salute you for being self-made twice over two decades i would say hero it's like a second inning for him. whatever you went through you went through in the u.s right so why Dubai and why did you not do this in the U.S.? Um, I... Land of a million opportunity, land of the digital world. You know, uh, I wanted to travel the world more than I wanted to live in America. I mean, I had built a company from 5 million to 30 million in the United States in my 20s. Why do you want to travel? I, I think the feeling of freedom. Just the feeling to just be wherever I wanted, wherever, whenever I wanted. We're just stuck in Dubai now. Huh? We're just stuck in Dubai now. Uh, Dubai is. A, I, I travel a lot. Oh, okay. I was just in the Maldives. I, I go to countries yes. I've never experienced: Africa, Maldives, Asia, India, Europe. 
when you're in America, and this, I mean, this probably people, everyone that meets me, they always say this to me, like, why would you come here? You know, why would you come to Dubai? You're American. You, you're in America. Why would you leave? When you're in America and you travel from L.A. to Houston, it's all the same. <laughs> it all looks the same. Starbucks is next to Home Depot. Home Depot is next to Walmart. <laughs> It's all the same. When I'm in Dubai and I go to Europe, it's different. When I go to India, it's different. When I go to Africa, it's different. When I go to Asia, it's different. And that feeling for me is more exciting. Yeah. But I grew up in America and I spent 32 years there. I was bored by the time I, you know, I wanted to experience something different. And there is something exciting and challenging to show up to another country, start a company, build a business, you don't exist, and then everybody knows you. So thank you so much. Ego seeks size, but only humility can lead to greatness. Again, ego. 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 ego seeks size, but only humility can lead to greatness. Wow. Wow. Because every week when people pick it up, it's a magical thought. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, just if I were to reflect on just my story, just kind of what we talked about, I think. From the age of 10 to 20, it was my ego that was driving me to make money. Wow. And when I lost it, I, you know, when it, I was so associated with the success of my money from 10 to 20 because there was a direct correlation to the more money I made, the smarter I was, which was driving me to make more and more money. Um, and it's when I lost that is what I always say, tell people, is since the moment that I found my purpose was to serve people, I've never worried about money a day in my life since that moment. Because I've always understood that if I'm serving, I don't, the money will come. It will figure itself out. And I've literally always had enough money for whatever I needed in that moment, no matter what. The resource of money has never been an issue in my life since I found that purpose. So I would say that that's... Yeah.